Prison Rap 1993 A fly was buzzing persistently around the nose of Warden Stacy. He kept trying to flick it away, but it took no notice. It made him irritable. Most things made the warden irritable these days, and when the warden got irritable, he got mean. And when he got mean, everyone in Beaconsfield Penitentiary suffered. He did not stand very tall, and the antics with the fly made him look comical, as if he were attempting to do a sit-down isometric workout. Olivia's current hit song suited the movements beautifully, although one creative soul had bastardised the lyrics to suit his own fantasy. Let's get physical, physical. Let me hear your body squawk. The glass partition that allowed Warden Stacy to watch the junior administrators at their desks also allowed them to glimpse his antics with the fly. Most were trying to manipulate the newfangled Xerox computers with pretended competency. A few had their heads in handbooks and were totally lost. Bloody hell! Stacy heard his chief finance clerk curse as he struggled with the electronic mouse. It brought a grin of acknowledgement on fellow sufferers. If you find that so fucking funny... You can go and laugh somewhere else, like at home, for instance, while you look for a new job. His words had the desired effect, and even the few who had begun to quietly hum the pop tune to blend with the warden's movements now sat quiet and straight-faced. Laughter was not a good idea with a mean, vindictive boss. Warden Stacy was not a large man which was why he preferred to sit rather than stand. His desk faced side-on to the large window that gave him a panoramic view of the exercise yard way out to the gatehouse to the north and the adjoining mill room to the west. Everything was in order, as it should be. He went back to balancing the long rows of figures on his notepad, crossing out some in the left-hand column in order to coincide with the right. The eleven o'clock bell suddenly shattered the solitude and within seconds a handful of prisoners rushed out for their morning break, anxious to indulge themselves in the autumn rays of the sun. A few stretched themselves out full length on the dirt ground, while others propped themselves up against the high wall of the adjoining mill room. The regular clatter of the industrial machinery could be faintly heard blending in with the accompanying birdsong. That annoyed Warden Stacy even further. Why should the riffraff out there be enjoying themselves when he was stuck inside behind a mountain of paperwork? On this particular day, the entire staff of Beaconsfield Prison were uneasy, and they didn't know why. It was simply in the air. To the outsider, it was merely an ordinary day in an ordinary penitentiary. Nearly 500 men were going about their business with their usual apathetic energy. 
They put in just enough input to avoid attention. They knew from experience that if they did not, they would pay the penalty of having food and smoke stopped. And both were constantly in short supply. The mill was in full operation. Hundreds of shuttles clanged swiftly back and forth across the looms with a nerve-wracking, deafening ding. The jute ducks rose and fell, swelled and billowed, covering the floor, the walls and the men who worked before them. Blue-clad guards, armed with heavy clubs, casually loitered along the aisles, almost nodding off to the regular monotony of the machines as they turned out hundreds of grain sacks every day. Every convict was busy in his place, fulfilling his quota, and none was ignorant of what happened to any who checked in short. Mailman Mick worked alongside his colleagues with vigour. Like the warden, he was not a large man, but his lean, wiry body was strong and responded well to exercise, as did his brain. He too could feel the excitement in the air, but unlike the guards, it sent his adrenaline racing with anticipation. He was ready for the unexpected, for it had been he who had set it up. Although not one man in the room was watching him, every prisoner was waiting for his signal. They would not be disappointed. Mick was not his true name though the nickname suited him well, even though he had never been involved with Her Majesty's post or been christened Michael. What gave him claim to the name was his constant source of information. If you wanted to know who was doing what to whom or where or when, you went to Mailman Mick. You would barter the price, a few cigarettes, a bar of soap or anything else you had of reasonable value. But instead of getting the reputation as a common snitch, he was revered as a man of business. Miss Eleni was computed away in the recesses of Melman Mick's quick, febrile brain. And somehow, none of it was ever wasted. Casually, without a word, he stopped what he was doing, climbed onto a bench and waved his arms. Then, just as casually, he stepped down again and was swallowed up in the throng. This was the cue the prisoners had been waiting for and a hundred men immediately went into action. In groups of two, five or ten, they accomplished a number of activities, swiftly, quietly and effectively. The guards, rushing towards Mick with clubs held aloft, were tripped, then seized and disarmed by convicts who acted with military precision. The main switch to the looms was turned off. The silence was palpable. The security gate was locked from the inside, monitors covered and the electronic communicating system temporarily dismantled. When all was under control, the supervisor, a large set ageing fellow, was marched over to Mick, who eyed him up squarely. Watson, I want you to listen carefully. This is a revolt. 
a basic requisition for better food and better living conditions. There will be no violence if our requests are met reasonably. We want the warden here in five minutes. Understand? Mixed demands were delivered in the soft, lilting brogue of the Irish accent, but were nonetheless authoritative. Ha <laughs> oh, Mick, you know you're asking for the impossible. Just let me... Watson's words were lost as one of the inmates, a giant of a man called Little John, brought his fist down onto a bench with a resounding thud. Then he came up close, his face just inches away from the supervisor. What was that you said? The deep voice was heavy with menace. The supervisor gulped, nodded his head and turned for the door. Almost immediately, like the parting of the Red Sea, a small channel was opened up for him. When he got to the door, little John called out with a voice to match his enormous frame. Just wait a mo, Watson. I'll come with you. Just to make sure you get the message straight. <laughs> this was matched with a roar of laughter from the men. Their excitement was at fever pitch. As the pair left the room accompanied by two extra hefty prisoners, now armed with the jailer's canes, there was a cheer and rush for the long, narrow observation window that ran along the inside wall. Those with good vantage points relayed the visual information. They're out, they're out in the annex. Oh, the gunners are walking up to him. Oh, no, 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 he's waving them away. Oh, he's running now. Oh, they've turned the corridor. they turned the corridor and... A deadlock calm settled over the men while they waited. But within a minute, another cheer, more vigorous than before, swept through them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's coming. He's coming. Oh, the warden's coming. Oh, wait till I get my hands on him. Oh. The last comment was heard from a number of sources, and once more Melman Mick climbed onto the bench, a little quicker this time, and this time he spoke to the throng. Listen, I said I'd get you better food and conditions, and I will, with no repercussions to any prisoner. That I guarantee. But if any one of you so much as touches a warden, or any of the other pigs, without my say-so, so help me, I'll have no more to do with it. And you're on your own. If any of you want to turn this into a riot and kick ass, do it some other time. Not on my watch. There was a sudden crashing at the door as the warden made his intention for entry known. As the bolts were drawn, he walked in, red-faced with suppressed rage. Who's responsible for this? The men begrudgingly noted his attempt at fearlessness. Almost by radar, the warden picked out Mick, and their eyes locked in acknowledgement of mutual shared power. Once again, a wave parted until they both confronted each other. Mick walked towards him and spoke firmly. Warden, we know we are not receiving the full quota of smokes, nor food allotted to us through tax monies. We know you're up to your snout in kickbacks, and we demand a better deal. Oh, you do, do you? <laughs> well, you can go and... 
Stacy's words came to a sudden halt as once again little John's fist came down on the bench with a thump, then just as suddenly came up perilously close to the warden's nose. Stacy hesitated, then tried again. All right, come to my office and we'll discuss your requests. <laughs> this was met by a laugh from those around. It was not a laugh celebrating humour, but one of derision, rough and raw. Don't be such a fucking prick, Warden. We're not that stupid. These are our requests. Mick had been careful to use the word request and not demand, though it was not noticed by any of the men. Indeed, the sheet of paper thrust into the warden's face had carefully used the same verbiage. Read it out aloud, after me. Raising his voice, Mick read from the list, itemising the reasonable expectations of prisoners for basic needs and privileges. The warden did as told, and mimicked Mick, word for word. Do you all agree? Mick raised his voice sufficient for it to resonate around the room, now being guarded by a group of prisoners apiece. Each man nodded his head vigorously. Looking around the room, the warden took in the situation, peaceful and orderly, but with underlying possibilities for radical change. Then he spoke. All right, Mick, you've made your point. Now what? Sign it. Mick offered the pen already in his hand. Warden Stacy did as ordered. Mick took the note and gave it to one of the prisoners, who seemed to disappear in a sea of fellow men. Now, sign this one. It's an exact copy. Mick took a similar piece of paper from his pocket. Without any hesitation whatsoever, the warden signed. This time the note was taken up immediately by one of the inmates, who scurried around the room showing the signed copy to each of the guards. Once completed, he brandished it above his head, gave it a theatrical kiss, and returned it to the warden. Right. Now, I want you to go over to the PA system and tell your entire staff that no one is to move from their posts for five minutes. Tell them this is nothing more than a security drill. You've got to be fucking joking. I'm not going to... A chair came crashing down onto the bench next to the warden, making him jump, wide-eyed with bewilderment and fear. Splinters of wood covered him as he looked into the eyes of little John, who was now brandishing a chair leg over his head as a club. At the same time, half a dozen of the prisoners stepped forward, with fists clenched. Without another word, the warden walked over to the PA system by the door. Hello, this is Warden Stacy. We're about to conduct a security drill, so I want every man to stay where they are until I give the signal. He looked up into Mick's clear grey eyes. Again? Said Mick. I repeat, I repeat, this is Warden Stacy. We're conducting a security drill. I don't want anyone to move from their position until I give the word. That will be in about five minutes. Mick nodded, satisfied as the system was switched off. Now, Warden, we would like you to remove your clothes. This next order was delivered quietly. What? Disbelief was in Stacy's voice. <laughs> Slight giggles erupted from the men 
as they crowded around the warden, eager to see and hear his response. You heard me. Get the doubts off. Now. Mick's voice held an edge that had not been there before. Then he looked towards the guards. And the same goes for the rest of you. Everyone in the middle of the room and get your clothes off. <laughs> By now, the chuckles from the prisoners had given way to loud guffaws. <laughs> and these increased as the bewildered jailers were herded into the centre of the room like sheep. Some stood their ground, but others slowly began to undo buttons. Hey, there, oh, yeah. Cat calls and obscene remarks filled the air. Oh, come to me, mama. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got 30 seconds, or... What? Oh, what? The warden was over his initial fear and shock and was now meeting him on equal footing. What the hell are you intending to do? And what makes you think me or my men would follow any such outrageous order from you? Mick looked at him coolly. Because, Warden, if you do as I say, no physical harm will come to any of you. But if you flout my command, I'll be forced to walk away, defeated, and the men will find someone else to lead them. Someone with different ideas as to how to obtain their requests. There was an undoubted threat in Mick's voice, and the jailers, who for now were the prisoners, stood perplexed and unsure. They simply looked to their head man for leadership. Finally it came, as he began to unbuckle his belt. Within a few seconds he stood naked, vulnerable and ridiculous. The ten guards stood much the same. As with all men, those with physiques to be proud of stood straight. The others cowered and tried to nonchalantly hold their hands in front of their genitals. The laughter and obscenities from the men now reached a crescendo, and some of the prisoners began to bray out a coarse rendition of the stripper in a raunchy and abrasive manner of bump and grind. The musical interplay got louder and some began to gyrate in a coarse mime of sexual interplay. Mick clapped his hands. All right. Take the pictures. You've got three minutes. Just three minutes. What happened next was the worst three minutes of any of the jailers' lives. Most would have preferred some form of physical confrontation than what occurred. Three small cannon cameras suddenly appeared as if by magic, and the ten guards were positioned in a seemingly never-ending series of compromising positions. Naked flesh was flaunted as they were directed to caress each other's bodies by mouths and hands. The prisoner's enthusiasm mounted as each tabloid unfolded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yet in each photo, one thing remained constant. Faces were carefully culled, 
focused and framed. In each pose, there was little doubt of who it was and what he was doing. Three minutes later, Mick gave the order to stop and told the men they could dress. One camera, equipped with the new digital interface, was handed from one prisoner to another to voice their approval. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From the whoops of joy emanating around the room, it was obvious they were considered quite acceptable. Where's Ratty? Mick weaved his way through a group of prisoners and found the little man he was looking for who scurried forward expectantly. He had earned his name through speed and dexterity and an ability to get in and out of small places. He was given the two standard cameras and immediately turned for the door, where the prisoner on duty quickly let him out before immediately bolting the door from the inside again. Harlem? Mick looked around the room once more his eyes alighting on a tall, rangy-looking youth who stepped forward, his eyes shining eagerly. Are you ready? The youth nodded and ran over to the wall that flanked the exercise yard. A narrow window acting as a skylight and providing fresh air topped the wall just below ceiling level, a good 20 feet above. He was followed by half a dozen of the bigger, stronger men. Knowing what was to come, began to whistle the Harlem Globetrotters' theme song as the three braced themselves together with arms outstretched. Another two sprang onto their shoulders with the help of the sixth man for support. He then clasped his fingers taut together, enabling Harlem to step onto the human ladder and make his way up to the top of what was now a human pyramid. The digital camera, well protected by a shirt, was thrown up to him, which he caught with ease, before giving a sharp whistle accompanied by the word, Ready? Right-oh, came the response from outside. With a clean, concise arm movement, Harlem hurled the camera through one of the middle air slits. Almost immediately, the voice outside called out, Got it! before steps were heard running away. Straight away, Harlem jumped to the floor with a bound which ended with an athletic somersault, and the remainder of the pyramid quickly dispersed. Proud of their achievement, each man wore a broad grin as they gave a slight bow to the ensuing applause. Mick now motioned the warden and his staff to the middle of the room. I don't think I need to tell you the consequences of not meeting our requests or any repercussions on any of the men after today. I think you have enough experience to know that you'll not find any of the cameras. In fact, I've made provision that by the time you get back to your office, the cameras will be outside the prison grounds. Once printed off, the pictures will be locked away for safekeeping. You have my word for that. No one will see them, unless we need to distribute them for any reason. The last words were emphasised. The warden's cold eyes glinted with hatred as he looked at Mick. I understand perfectly. Good decision, said Mick. Now, 
I suggest you go back to the PA and say that the drill has been completed successfully and that everyone should resume duties. Stacy did as told, then without meeting the gaze of any of the prisoners or his men, allowed himself to be accompanied to the door by little John. Almost immediately, the recreation bell clamoured on the quarter hour, and the prisoners in the exercise yard reluctantly gave up the warmth of the sun's rays as they began to file back into the gloom of the corridor. Yet most had a smile hovering on their lips. Ward and Stacy almost ran back to the sanctuary of his office, seething with rage. The fly was still there. A hundred thoughts went through his head with a hundred ideas. He gazed out of his window, noting the blue sky, the faint bird song, and the distant whir of machinery starting up. After a long reflection, where he thought of his coming retirement, he decided to do nothing. He even ignored the persistent fly which had resumed its irritating attraction for his nose. Back in the mill room, the prison staff stood perplexed, for as suddenly as they had stopped, the prisoners had gone back to what they had been doing before the intrusion. It was as if the event had never happened. But it had happened and the next day saw Beaconsfield Penitentiary being supplied with fresh vegetables, fruit, and better meat, quality soaps, and more cigarettes. Outside the prison, nobody seemed to know why these changes were made. Of course, inside the prison, everyone knew. And with the exception of a few grins, low wolf whistles... Or strained hums from the stripper being directed towards a dozen of the guards from time to time. Nothing was ever said. You have been listening to Prison Rap, written and performed by Brianda Cross. For more short stories, monologues, full ensemble pieces, please go to fastfictionpodcast.com. And if you enjoy any, we always appreciate a tick of approval. Thank you.